My name is Dustin, and welcome to the Earthian Podcast, where I explore the everyday stories, emotions, and realities that make up the human experience as we know it on Earth. Today's guest lives in Oakland, California. We met in the Bay Area at school, where we connected through our mutual love and respect for hip-hop. He's an industrial designer, a DJ, and a dad to two daughters. In this conversation, we talk about fatherhood in this culture and society today. We talk about hip-hop. We talk about insecurities, about how feeling enough is so important, but can be so difficult at the same time. And we talk about how he struggled to find his way while accepting that he's right where he's at. This is my conversation with Patrick Davies. You know, it's, it's, things are crazy right now. So I guess to start, how, how are you doing? How are you doing with everything that's going on with, with COVID, with, I mean, with the shit show that 2020 is? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're, I'll say we, because, you know, talking about myself and my family at times. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the we I'm referring to. Um, I have, you know, I'm married, celebrated my 20th year anniversary just oh, in the damn. middle of COVID, all of this. Congratulations, um, man. Thank you, thank you. And we have we have a, an eight-year-old, a coming up eight-year-old and coming up two-year-old, um, both girls. And so overall, we are feel just extremely fortunate in so many ways because we know that so many people are hurting in so many ways. I mean, it, it's, it's overwhelming. Um, and for us, you know, we're really taking advantage of, of the time to be together. Um, and like I said, we're fortunate enough that, that both of us, um, like my wife, she is able to work from home and, and hasn't, you know, had any problems there. Um, I work part-time and the other part of the time I was, you know, kind of hustling doing like freelance design work or um, even driving Lyft or what have you. But then as right. soon as COVID hit, like done, like yep. uh, the shop I was working out of doing my design work and fabrication, we had to shut down. Um, and we're just now looking at how we can open up safely. So part of my income doing that kind of work was gone. And you know, due to health concerns you know, within the family, like it w- didn't make sense for me to be going out and driving Lyft to make extra money right. um, and, you know, exposing myself and my family um, in a very serious, meaningful way. So with that being said, I did take a, a financial hit. Um, but, you know, with the necessity of having to uh, basically be care provider and um, educator for my kids, it couldn't have been, you know, I couldn't have asked for anything more in, in regards to that because I, I do have, have that luxury to, to be able to do the work for my job, you know, in random off hours whenever I can get it done. And they've right. been also been super understanding and have been keeping everybody as safe as possible as well. Yep. So in terms of, of COVID, you know, it's been it's been, you know, it's tough because we're, we're pretty much from the time we wake up until we go to bed, we're, we're just nonstop going, going, going. Um, right. and so, you know, other friends with, with 
children or other situations like we have some friends who have you know like a multi-generational household and so they don't feel the same stuff because they have two grandparents who are there to help out the whole time and so when we're talking about our struggles as you know having two small you know the, the, a toddler basically and uh going into second grade a child going into second grade it's um you know it's a lot it's a lot, a lot. And then when you put on top of that, you know, trying to be a part of dismantling uh, oppression on all forms, that is also, you know, work that happens in different ways. Um, and so we're also trying to do what we can there. Um, and, and even then, it doesn't feel like enough. But at the same time, you know, we got to be able to do what we can to, to help our family through. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And so with that in mind, you know, we just are constantly, constantly, constantly um, juggling so many different responsibilities and different things that just weren't there overnight. Even, you know, having to change what we were planning on doing with our own kids in, in terms of, you know, our, our daughter is coming into an age where she's really interested in being on screens and using technology and all this kind of stuff. And we, you know, had a, a pretty tight grip on all of that before just to, you know, monitor how much exposure she was getting to and how much screen time. But then overnight it was like, that's your whole world. Right. Um, and that's how she started communicating with her friends, which I mean, is it's fantastic. She's really keeping up with like the social emotional component of being uh, able to communicate with her friends in a way that I couldn't have ever imagined when I was a kid, which is pretty awesome. But at the same time, it puts up these kind of different challenges where, you know, it's great that we can do all of these things within this one device, but when we say, hey, no more screen time, and then she gets back onto the screen to start listening to music and is like, you know, mm. browsing through it, it's like, okay, she's, she's still interacting with the screen. <laughs> yeah, right, so, right. So it's... Is she also yeah. getting, um, like, they're doing school through screens too, right? Or, or are yeah. you guys homeschooling? Okay, no, yeah. so yeah, so we we're doing school through uh, school, you know, like distance learning through her through her school. That's that's what started before the summer, and you know they did as best of a job as they could do overnight. And initially, we were gonna um, we'd gotten a really fantastic opportunity to send her to a, a really great um, private school with a scholarship. And as the time was coming closer and closer. Um, they had a meeting uh, with parents and stuff to talk about what their plans were for reopening in the fall, and they just did not instill any kind of confidence within us. As far as like in-person education, we knew it was going to be a great experience, but they didn't. They weren't responding to what's happening in a way that made us feel safe, right. um, or that they had considered all of the different avenues. And so, with that in mind, we decided to keep her in in public schools moving forward and you know they've been pretty pretty on point and you know responding to things they have you know the teachers and and things like that they have unions that they are a part of and have protections for them and that private schools just don't have right. um and so that was part of part of the thing 
for us, that was um, kind of concerning that there was going to be a lot of burnout at the, at the private school because they were asking a lot of the teachers. And so for that reason, we decided to, to, to go with the option of the public school because it seemed like it was going to be fine. That's just for our kid. Um, there's so many other kids out there who don't have that ability or, you know, for whatever their circumstances are, can't can't have that as an option. And so I, I definitely recognize that um, we're super fortunate that, that we can have that as an opportunity. Right. So I guess in, um, I don't know if you know this, but in other cases where like, let's say the parents have jobs where they need to go to work, mm-hmm. uh, our kids, are they allowed to stay at home and go do schooling at home or how does that work? Do you know? I honestly, I don't know, but I could imagine that, you know, people are doing whatever they have to do to get through. And it really depends on the school and the school district and what's going on and how they're deciding to, to, to handle it. So I can't really speak on that so much. Um, I know that there are, once uh, COVID started and shelter in place started, I know that there were still daycares that were running and open for essential workers. Mm. But I don't know about school. I, yeah. I do know that at a certain age, they were having more like kind of online instruction with an educator there, kind of streaming in with them. Right. But that I can't really speak to, you know, what parents were deciding to do if they were, you know, leaving the kids home by themselves or not. I'm sure yeah. that's happening everywhere. That's a pain, man. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 really it's really tough. You know, you can't really I mean, at the same time, like, you know, to me, it's more important that that you know, our kids going to catch up with education. Um, you know, our kids are fortunate enough to have two parents with higher education degrees, and you know, all the things in place to facilitate them having a, a, a positive learning experience as much as possible. I mean, we still even things fall through the cracks, and you know, it's just everyone is just tired. But at the end of the day, like the most important thing is like everybody's health. And everybody just knowing that, you know, getting through is, is what is the most important thing. Definitely. And there's going to be huge gaps for an entire generation of kids, period. Right. Um, and more so for some kids and less so for others. And it's and then there's going to be, you know, kids within all of those scenarios where it, it you know, everything is against them and they're supposed to fail, but then they're going to rise. Mm-hmm. But it, it's just really the luck of the draw and, and, and how things have been set up. You know, I mean, we can go into, you know, systemic racism, but that's, that's not, you know, going to solve the problem today. Yeah, um, right, right. And that's kind of where we are. And we're trying to do that every day a little bit. But, you know, there's not going to be a magic wand that's waved and all of a sudden everybody's getting along and things are are, are equal. Um, uh, wouldn't that be nice? It, it would be. Um, <laughs> I have I have some theories, but I don't I, I you know, they would never happen. But it, it, it's just, just interesting. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm curious. I'm curious yeah, I mean, what, what these theories are. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's what. <laughs> no, 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 for sure. Like, like it, it's kind of just like a fan because when I keep hearing about like, you know, um, some of these big, uh, big 
conglomerates and companies, Amazon, whatever, making and Facebook, making, you know, billions and billions and billions of dollars since COVID started. Yeah. And then I look and I say, okay, what is the population of the country? It's 330 million, give or take. If those companies were to give everybody a million dollars, what would be the, you know, the economic impact of that? Well, I have no idea. I'm not an economist, but it was just, you know, just thinking about just plain old money, you know, those people have the capacity to provide that for the entire country. And it would still not really even be a dent in that bottom line. And so I'm just like wondering like why things like that just don't happen. And, and like with that kind of injection into the economy, like wouldn't, wouldn't that mean there would be, you know, people would be getting out of debt and then being able to essentially go back into debt <laughs> to buy more right, stuff, right, right. <laughs> you know, but, but in, in, in any case, like, like I said, I'm not an economist by any means, but I, I've just been wondering like, what would it mean for the economy to do that? You know, um, because here, here we are, people are like fighting for just a little bit of, uh, unemployment money or the next stimulus check and will it get them through, you know, and then you also have, you know, undocumented folks who aren't even getting anything and just, just, it's all just such a mess. But yet those people are still counted within our, you know, the census and, and the population. So it's, you know, it's really, really, you know, who's to say what would happen, but it's just, you know, it's just one of those like fantasies of like, I know what I would do and that, you know, it, how it would impact my life. And I'm sure it would impact everybody's life in a, in a positive, meaningful way. And yet those people who have the means to do it, it would not impact them in a negative way other than, you know, losing a little bit of money that they would just get back in a couple of days. Or even like, how about like we halt all the military activities for two, three days. How much money would the government save doing that? And that could be redistributed to people you know, and then, you know, it would make sheltering in place seem like not that hard, you know, but th that's the problem is we, we just, we're, as a, as a country, we, you know, go down the, the road of to wear a mask or not to wear a mask. But the, the, the problem is, is that it was framed in, in a way of it helps other people rather than it helps you. Right. Because um, people can't see that by helping other people, it's in effect is helping them. Yeah, I mean that, that that's the whole thing about this entire situation yeah. is um the fact that the fact that the people that were not are not wearing masks and were not wearing masks um are the same ones that are that were kind of pushing for the reason that they didn't want to wear masks, the reason that they didn't want to quarantine is because they wanted to get their money, right? Like, you know, right. go to their jobs or do yeah. certain things, get in certain services. But the ironic yeah. thing is that because of those things, we're now like in this prolonged state of quarantine where yeah. things have to yeah. stay closed longer. Businesses are dying. Yep. It's, it's, it's all the American exceptionalism. It's, it's, mm. it's really, it's really a thing. Like, you know, it, it, this is something that happens over there. It's not happening to us. No matter, you know, those numbers aren't real. Um, this is all a hoax. This is all political. But, you know, 
yeah, it, it's just it, it's just it becomes overwhelming. Just people's critical thinking skills, and yeah. you know, they're able to to see things in one way and just have blinders on to what is really going on, even when it's totally affecting them. It's just right. it's just it's just mind boggling. Um, and the thing that really gets me with the whole the mask or no mask is it's like, okay, so they've said that there's this one possibility of this thing that could help reduce the spread and help stop this. Why not do it? Mm-hmm. And and if it doesn't work, then at the end you could say, see, I told you so. But really, like, what you go into a, you go into any any establishment, they have a sign on the wall that says we we reserve the right to refuse service to anyone. And really, that's you know left over from 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 segregation, and 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 still racism, but it it still applies to this. You, you can't go into an establishment without shoes, a shirt. You know, <laughs> you're not going to yeah. be served. It's the yeah, same yeah. thing. <laughs> yep. And so, like, it's not they're not trying to silence you. You can still speak through a mask. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that's the other right. argument that's happening, and it, it's really it's dumb. It's just really, really dumb. And it's, you know, that's just kind of where we are as a country. And it's going to take a really long time to undo that because it, it's just, you know, it's generational and it's been happening for so, so long. And yeah. it's not to say that it's hopeless, but it's, you know, going to take a really, really long time. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, and the other thing is, is, you know, Okay, fine. Don't don't wear your mask. Do you? And you know, you and your family can get sick, and that's going to be on you. Because yep. you know, yeah, that's kind of that's that's really what I'm thinking about. Um, so on on that note, yeah, you know, the, the family note. Um, yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about your your daughters and and how you kind of changed and and reacted to and you know how you how your perspective has changed because of your daughters. Before I do that, I, I want to talk about, uh, I want to describe you. So because sure. this is a podcast, we can't see you. Totally. Um, just to give some context, yeah. can you talk about like the roles and traits? I mean, you mentioned, you know, you're a father. Um, yeah. What else do you uh, identify with? How would you describe yourself to someone who can't see or interact with you? All right. Um, well, I mean, I've I've done a lot of different things o- over the years um i guess it's funny as 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 a you know and i was born and raised here in in california my my dad is white my mom is not um but i when you look at me i look like a white guy and so that that has been a confusing thing um my whole life mm. um and for many many reasons my mom has you know didn't really raise my sister and I within with some of her, you know, cultural roots because that was also really complex and complicated. What's your mom's background? So she, her, her family originated in in New Mexico. So she's like indigenous Mexican, you know, like before the United States was a thing, you know. <laughs> so right, right. right. Um, but that only goes back so far as uh, historical records go, and we don't really have like actual proof other than you know <laughs> than how she represents phenotypically so um so that's always been been something um growing up uh and as you know 
presented a challenge because I never have felt comfortable in any specific space. So that that's one thing. And so there's that. And I've had experience of, of growing up uh, upper middle class and, you know, and as well as being really, really poor. Um, and so I have kind of both perspectives on that as well. Um, and that has, has helped shape me a lot as well and being able to kind of understand and, and be empathic to lots of different people's life scenarios. I do recognize that because my outward appearance is, is one particular way that's afforded me a lot of privilege, whether I've known or not. And so I don't take that for granted whatsoever. But at the same time, it's that, that same, you know, privilege and that has also taken away from me being able to identify with a whole half of my cultural upbringing, um, or backgrounds rather. Right. Um, and that's also something that's coming up for me within the context of my children and, you mm-hmm. know, how to have them have something to hold on culturally um, that's not really there. So that's, you know, that's a challenge. And, how, how have you... Yeah. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but no, no. I'm curious, like, there's, there, I can, I can, I can hear, like, that you're struggling a little bit with, yeah. um, with this thing, and I'm, I'm sure that you've been thinking about this, like, your entire life. Um, oh, yeah. Since you've been aware of it. Yeah. So I, I have something similar. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of similar, but kind of not, where I think, um, as an, a, a kid of an immigrant, or yep. immigrant parents, um, yep. so what happens is, because in the U.S., it's there's the Asian group is either like straight from Asia, or yeah. they're Asian American first generation, and right. the group of us is very small. So there's not really a defined thing, like a defined role or whatever. It's it's very up in the air kind of. Yeah. And so and we look a certain way. We we don't look like we fit in here. We look obviously right. from a certain place, right? Right. So there's this thing where we don't fit in here, but then when we go back to Asia, we, we also either. don't fit in. Yeah. yeah. So we're like this yeah, weird yeah. in the middle kind of thing. So I guess that's how I I relate to what you're saying. But yeah, I'm curious, like how how have you processed that? Have you worked through that? Oh no, I don't. I I can't. I I have no idea how to because it it I I come up against it all the time, and you know in different spaces, you know. I would say probably probably one of the biggest turning points for me was so when my wife and I we got married we ended up going into the Peace Corps and living in in South America in Suriname. Uh, we lived there for three years and it was a former Dutch colony. Uh, we lived in the the middle of the rainforest with the descendants of runaway slaves who you know basically set up civilizations out in the middle of the jungle. What? And yeah. Oh, that's um, crazy. Okay. And so that was two years of our experience. And in the third year, we lived in the in the capital city. But the thing is, so so my wife, she's um, she's Iranian uh, by descent, um, and her mm-hmm. family, and and a little bit, and her father was a little bit uh, Scottish. And so for her and and I, we both have this um, very similar thing where we, you know, kind of like what you were describing as well, where you just don't feel like you fit into any particular space. Yeah. Um, and you know, for her, 
um, her mom married a black man who already had two children and they became her brother and sister. So even more so it becomes confusing for her. Uh, and so for, for us, we, when we lived in South America, we have this outward appearance of what would be considered like a minority, basically, um, being, you know, white. Um, oh, right. White in, in South America. Right. And, and yeah. whereas predominantly, you know, they're, they're Creole, they're the, the descendants of the runaway slaves. Mm. We had, you know, people of Chinese descent, of Indonesian descent, who were, you know, uh, East Indian descent, who are all, you know, brought over uh, at various times as indentured servants or slaves or what have you. And so those are all the people who comprise the country. And so there's always like this assumption that, oh, if you're white, that means you're a tourist and you have money. Right. And so what would constantly happen is people would try and to scam us on taxi rides and stuff like that. But because we spoke the local language, we would just bust it out. And then they would, mm. you know, they'd pick up their, their chin from the floor and charge us <laughs> what the normal price would be and we'd yep. be on our way. But really, that was that was one time where I got to experience things from a the opposite perspective of where my skin put a bunch of preconceived notions towards me, positive or negative, and I was experiencing that every day, every day. Um, not necessarily to any kind of harm or detriment like you know people of color here in the States, but definitely it was the first time growing up that I was able to, to, to recognize that difference and have that experience on me. Because like when, so growing up, we, um, my, my family, we brought up for part, part of the time in Venice um, in the late 70s and early 80s. And it kind of considered the, you know, the last little place where people of color could actually be uh, owned property by the beach, uh, which is no longer a thing through gentrification um and so for us living there i, I was around lots of kids of, of all different backgrounds and you know mixed families and we we just all were you know we were just kids and we were just all having fun all the families looked out for each other and everything um and then at a certain point i moved into a more affluent neighborhood where it was not like that at all and the the shift was very very palpable the experience even that when when we first moved into the more affluent neighborhood the kind of welcoming committee of these ladies from the neighborhood came and knocked on our door and my mom answered the door and they said you know is the lady the house home and my mom kind of looked at them blankly and said yes oh wow and they kept wow. you know they were kind of standing there looking at her and going is the lady of the house home and she goes yeah and she doesn't she doesn't like just write out say it <laughs> but then finally they get it and they go oh we just wanted to welcome you to the neighborhood and this that and the other thing and so you know those things were 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 happening and i think my mom played a role in kind of shielding us from from those experiences mm. um and then you know her her upbringing herself was was not uh, a very happy home she ended up leaving home when she was 14 and uh moved in with her brother and so i think for her there was always this kind of like i i want to get away from my past and my my background 
And so I think when she had that opportunity to keep us away from it, she did. Uh, for reasons I'm not really going to get into, like we didn't spend much time with her parents. But, you know, and so we didn't really get like much of her cultural background and upbringing as part of our family traditions, really. Right. Um, there were some kind of like food elements that were, you know, introduced, but it really wasn't like, you know, we didn't do any like cultural ceremonies or any kind of like, we didn't really, you know, it was, it was really interesting. Like looking back, I know that I missed out on, on stuff, but yep. you know, that's just kind of where we are. And, you know, now we have a lot of terms to start picking that stuff apart and, you know, that it doesn't really mean that I can necessarily even provide that for, for, for my own children, um, yeah. with respect to like what I, my cultural background is. Yeah. And even if I wanted to try and be a part of, you know, try and find out more about my native ancestry and stuff like that, I feel like I would still have problems feeling connected and a part of that because mm. there's so many people who do claim to have native roots falsely. Um, mm. And so that had kind of watered things down. And so it really, I, like, I, like I said, I just don't really feel like I have a space where I'm 100% comfortable. But yet at the same time, I'm offered and afforded all of this privilege. And so it's really, it, it comes at a cost as well um, mm. that, you know, I never really thought about until I think I had my own kids and like trying to, to, to figure out, you know, what our traditions and, and, and things are. So really, um, my wife and I have tried to try our best to, to kind of create those things for ourselves. I mean, she also has her own whole set of cultural traditions and things that are, you know, that have been passed down um, that we try and, and incorporate. But, you know, we're only able to offer our kids part of their story. Yeah, that's 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 interesting to hear because i i guess i take that for granted because i'm so connected to i mean still i still have a branch to my culture right because my parents are from there right um so i I take for granted the the rituals that come with uh knowing what your culture is or knowing what comes with that like the rituals the traditions ceremonies whatever whatever it is even the little things like food whatever yeah yeah. yeah. So, how do you, how are you thinking about um, those rituals with your with your kids? You know, I I I don't I don't really know, to be perfectly honest. Mm. Um, I I think I'm still struggling so much with with where I fit into the whole thing that I, yeah. I don't really have a concrete way of of, of providing that for them. You know, I mean, we try we try and implement things here within the house, but you know, and right now it's just with everything that's going on, it's hard to. I don't know. For me, it seems like it's really it's really challenging to. Um, nothing is regular. Nothing is normal right now. So yeah. to to even try and provide a sense of normalcy is 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 a challenge. Yeah, and that's like part of the time, right? That's that's like the culture of today, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so like, it, it seems, it, it seems like I don't even have like the space to really think about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And so no matter how, how much I, I would want to, 
it, it, it just, it, it's, it, it is a priority, but it's also like, there's so many other things that are, are, are more pressing. Yeah, definitely. So, okay. So I'm, I'm curious about the, yeah. the you know, you having kids. Um, so yeah. I've, I've personally debated with myself and, um, mm-hmm. about having kids. I think yeah. it's an important decision, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, I guess my nervousness comes from like, man, I could easily, like, it's so easy to fuck up a kid that I'm like, okay, I'm scared. I want to stray away from that for now. Um, until I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm ready to take care of myself first. But um, I'm curious when you, when you had your first daughter, how, how were you feeling like before you had her, how did you feel? And then after what, what changed? Yeah. So let's so for a really, 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 really long time, I didn't think I wanted to have children for similar reasons that you just said. And, you know, you kind of like are constantly thinking like, oh, this will be a better time to do it. This um, When this happens and I get this happening, then it'll be a better time to do it. And then before you know it, you're, you're getting older. Um, and so that presents a whole different set of challenges. Um, and then, you know, for us, we waited so long that we actually had to to seek medical intervention to be able to even have children in the first place because mm. it, it just it, we had been married for 12 or even maybe even up to 12 years and we just had never my wife never got pregnant yeah. and so we went to a number of doctors and they said you know it, it's just for whatever reason we don't have a reason we can't tell you medically why but it's just not working <laughs> and they said, you know, you can go through all these different processes, but, you know, there's no guarantee. And because it's it's already not working, you know, you may be just throwing away your money. And at that time, you know, we didn't have any money to be doing this. Um, and so what, what ultimately happened was my wife found out about a, a study at Stanford that was happening, where as part of the study, they would provide you with a number of rounds of um, hormones to, you know, uh, help with fertilization and everything like that, and which is you know costs tens of thousands of dollars if you were to do it on your own, um, and it was going to be free. And so we said, okay, well, what's 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 the harm in that? And so we went and we did it, and on the first try, it happened. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And so we um, we had our first daughter, and she was born, and I mean that that changed changed everything instantly and you know your heart just opens up to a whole other being that you're responsible for and that becomes like the only thing that you think about and at least for me I, you know and so that was a, a big motivation for a number of of choices moving forward um you know i I stopped using drugs and alcohol. Um, I ended up going back to school, uh, and that's where we met. And that was a whole long process. Uh, But it was all with that in mind, of being a better person for my child and for my family. Um, And it's still a work in progress, even after having a second child, which, you know, we had an opportunity again to there's an old family friend who who is actually a, a fertility uh, specialist and so she was really helping us out with the cost of things 
uh, and it didn't work and it didn't work and it didn't work. And we finally got to the point where we decided, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to try anymore. Um, and we were even looking into the process of doing, um, becoming foster parents to adopt. And then next thing you know, my wife was pregnant with our second daughter all through just, just natural, which is, yeah. you know, totally unexpected. But at the same time was, you know, what we were really hoping for as the outcome. And, um, and again, you know, your heart just swells and opens up a little bit bigger and, um, lets that other, other, you know, life fill in that space. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it really, it does change you and it does, it can go, only go a couple different ways. Like you can try and choose to grow and, and examine yourself or you can stay the same and, you know, or you could be somebody who has lots and lots of problems and can't really even imagine, you know, working on yourself. And, you know, those are the, the scenarios where you start getting into, you know, uh, child abuse and neglect and, right. you know, all those, those negative consequences. Uh, and then there's, you know, external factors, all of it, you know, we're, we're, we're so fortunate, you know, we have, family close by and if we ever really really need help we know that 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 that, that we have support yeah. so that helps but really as far as like uh, the only thing that i that I, I wish was that i had trusted myself when i was younger um because if i if i look back and think like uh, you know we've been married 20 years we could have a, a 20 year old child right now Right. That's crazy, man. Right. I think about that all the time. But then, you know, I also think about it's hard to be 42 years old and chasing around a a two year old. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And currently, my my body is feeling that. Um, And especially with shelter in place, because that changed overnight when, you know, you have your kids off at school or whatever and you're doing your work. Um, a lot of times you're sitting behind a desk or whatever, and that's with my particular case. And then overnight you're, you know, you're on your feet all day long. Um, it's going to, it's going to take a toll, you know? So, so those, those are, those are real things. Um, also, you know, uh, with respect to, to your, for in, in your case, you know, with your partner, um, age is a real factor, you know, Uh for men, it's a lot easier to physiologically have children when you're older but for women it's not and so that's also something to take into consideration if you're you know really committed to that relationship and you're even already thinking about those things then there's really you know don't be afraid (laughs) yeah 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 and and that's the other thing is like you if if you're going to make it happen and make it work you're going to make it happen and you're going to make it work right my dad my dad once told me um you'll never be ready so just do it if you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really, it's really, really true. And then there's so many things like that that we, we, you know, we build up barriers. I know I do it all the time. Um, even, you know, we create these narratives for ourselves of whether they're they're accurate or not. And, um, you know, I created a narrative for myself even coming out of out of design school um, that, you know, has kind of held me back from from actually like fully diving into that career but then there's other mm. things that that have happened too you know like so for example i've been working at the same place for a number of years and you know if i work just a little bit longer i'll be able to uh be vested and and collect a pension when i become retirement age 
Yeah. So that's a very real thing to think about, you know. Um, you know, making a shift later in life to a different career isn't necessarily the easiest thing to do, uh, even though if it, it feels like it's the right thing to do. But there, there will be these things that, that come up. Um, but it really depends on how much of that narrative that you build up and start really, really believing to a fault. Mm. Um, what, what is and, that narrative for you? So for me, that narrative has been, I need to stick with this job because it's providing me with healthcare for my family. Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, shortly after getting out of design school, my wife got pregnant. And so that was, you know, and it didn't seem like it was it would, it would be a, a good time to lose our health benefits because, you know, a lot of early design work is contracted work and yep. don't really come with health benefits. And they don't pay well. Um, and they don't <laughs> they don't pay pay really well. Uh, yeah. They probably would have paid better than what I am getting paid, but mm. without the health benefits. So then there's that, you know. Right, right. Um, and so I was able to, what I was doing was I was doing some freelance design work on the side and just trying to build myself up a little bit that, that way. But it, it really wasn't enough. And, you know, so I'm stuck in this place of, you know, not really being happy with my job and wanting to, you know, being really... Um, wanting to move into a whole other career and just telling myself that it wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right time that, you know, X, Y, and Z needs to be in place um, before I do that. And, and also my own self doubts about my abilities and people wanting to um, hire somebody who's older one. And Mm -hmm. even um, if, if I had, you know, it it didn't matter to, to me that, that I, I graduated towards the top of, of our class um, based on schoolwork and feedback from the teachers and my grades and all of that. Um, yep. But that still didn't really like mean that I was going to just be able to just land a job right away. And so I think I, I kind of held myself back a little bit and, and didn't make that second leap of faith and going, yeah, I am good at this. And yes, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I, I do have the skills and i am a good employee and all of that stuff mm-hmm. just it was filled with so many um so many doubts that i let that become the barrier to to really putting myself out there yeah i mean i i completely understand uh like the insecurities that come with it i mean especially yeah. i think with design because you're you spend four years getting cut down yeah. basically weekly um yeah that it, it does take a toll on you regardless of what people want to say or how they want to act about it. Totally. Um, yeah. So I, I completely yeah, understand. And you, and you see your, you see your peers who do bullshit, get great jobs. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. Very true. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, um, it's just one of those things and you're going, well, damn, well, what's wrong with me? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you know, but what's wrong is that, that I just didn't put myself out there. And that's right. what's wrong. And that's, right, right. that's the, the, the thing is I didn't trust myself. Um, and I'm, I'm paying for it now at this point a little bit. But at the same time, I'm also kind of like, you know, if I was responsible for a 40-plus hour a week job, I, we wouldn't be able to get by. You know, because, yeah. our, you know, we wouldn't be able to take care of our kids and make sure that they're getting all the things that they need. Right. Um, so there's a part of me that's, you know, very feeling very fortunate about that. Um, 
So yeah, definitely, man. I mean, 40, 40 plus plus plus, like <laughs> knowing that the design yeah. world, if you, if you're yeah. working in the design world, you're definitely working more than 40 hours a week. Totally. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think we all kind of go our own ways, right. And take our own routes and yeah. Um, take the long cut here and there. So yeah. I guess the, the way I think about it and, you know, shit i'm i'm doing ux design now we studied right. industrial design right um which is i i like it way more i feel like it fits my personality way more but yeah you know i had to fuck up so many times at so many jobs in the last few years <laughs> to like figure out like hey i need to stop doing this i need to stop just let me quit while i'm good there and move over um, yeah when i can you know yeah yeah huh I, i'd love to hear more about that sometime yeah sure um definitely we can we can talk after yeah. but yeah. um so okay so cool we're, we're talking about you know the narrative that you tell yourself i want to talk a little bit about you know still about your daughters yeah um i want to ask you specifically like did i don't know did you have any siblings growing up yeah i had an older sister older sister okay yeah, so she was five years older so, got you uh, so i guess for you because for me, I grew up in a family, like I had a brother, my dad and my mom. So it's like one woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm surrounded by guys, basically. Mm-hmm. And for you, you have some experience. You have, you know, your mom and your sister. But I'm mm-hmm. curious if having a daughter specifically changed you in any way. Having a, a girl. Um, I don't... Or did it change your perspective? I, I mean, it, it changed my perspective on some things. I, I, I couldn't really put my finger on exactly what. Um, I mean, my wife would describe me as a feminist anyway. Right. So, like, so, and, and she, she, she's definitely, I know that, that that's a loaded term, but, you know, and we can get into to all of that. But, but, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I never... So both my parents worked. We didn't really have like, you know, my mom wasn't a stay-at-home mom. Um, when we had to sometimes go to work with them, we would go to work with them. Um, and so really, the, I never really had that kind of kind of at home experience where, you know, there there was like a a strict patriarchy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so. And then having, you know, my wife, she's, she's, you know, worked in, in domestic violence work for a number of years and, and has been working towards um, changes within, even within that movement, because that started out as like a white woman's space. And so she's really trying to, to, to help move it in with other folks into another direction or had been for a number of years. And so, you know, it, it does go beyond like just saying, you know, girls can do grow up to do anything, but really just like, like meeting them wherever they are. You know, we were really, you know, like with our first daughter, we didn't like, we bought like all the gender neutral stuff and we bought her toy cars as well as, mm-hmm. as dolls and, and things like that and let her kind of figure it out. Um, and, you know, she, she turned into just a, a you know, a very i don't want to say girly girl but she's she's you know but she also is she, she's she's it's hard i guess it's hard to 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 
to fully verbalize, but I, I'll just get it out. She is um, not by our doing, and it's really like it seems to be like society, and, and really things changed when she went to school and oh. was exposed to other kids, mm-hmm. um, where these like strict gender boundaries started coming up. Um, right. And, you know, she's, you know, she is a girl. And, and so like a stereotypical girl. (laughs) Yeah. 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 She likes girly things, but she also exerts her power and, and, and is a a very powerful being. And we let her do that. And we absolutely support it a hundred percent. Even when it comes around and and kicks us in the butt, you know, (laughs) because it does, it does all the time. Um, So, yeah, I mean, there's that. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I would say like some of the bigger changes were like the music that I was listening to before. I kind of would have to listen to by myself. You know, music with curse words or things that you know. I guess it made me think about about the music that is is out there and the messages that are portrayed. And so I stopped listening to some some you know rap and hip hop music that I used to listen to all the time. Yeah, but it's. You know, not to say that it doesn't have value within that its own context, but it it just it it kind of changed me to as started first with like listening more instrumental music <laughs> and, and things like that. So then can't take a risk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so really, like I, I think it, it just having children changed me in those in those ways. Right. Um, and girls specifically, you know, um, I definitely think about you know what the content is you know, that I'm exposing my daughters to. And it, I mean, like I said, with, with having all this screen time and stuff like that with my oldest daughter, it's really, really, she, we were looking up like free coloring pages on the internet and like we clicked on a link and fucking porno pops up, you know, and I'm like, like scrambling to like close the window (laughs) and all this stuff. And then I'm just like, God, you know, this is, this is exact like, okay, yes, one day we were going to have kind of a conversation around it, but I didn't want to, you know, start having that conversation with the seven-year-old, you know? And so it, it is a lot. And um... <laughs> Yeah, no, <laughs> that's funny. Um, I think one thing that I have a few friends of mine that have daughters, and I mean, it doesn't matter, son or daughter specifically, yeah. but uh, one of the things that, they've said which has been interesting and kind of shift my perspective a little bit is uh when their daughter fights with them or like you know is sassy or whatever whatever they do Mm -hmm. that's giving them attitude essentially yeah um they they kind of embrace it yeah for the fact that uh they can see that it's like their strength in that yeah and because they're strength in it yeah so that that's something that i think you think about as a parent that you don't think about before you have kids yeah i mean and and you know as we as we move more and more into like this you know new awareness and consciousness as people who are who even think about those things absolutely like in in my generation those things weren't really um necessarily embraced right uh and so what our job has been is to say you know it's really great that you're expressing yourself and voicing your and showing us your power but you know it 
you still got to brush your teeth. <laughs> you know, and so let's let's focus it on something when it really is important for you to put your foot down and exert your power. And so that's it, it doesn't need to be every time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, so all day, so, every day. Yeah. Right. Right. And so <laughs> so that's that's where what our job has become is to like how because we know it's going to serve her well. We know that she's going to grow up to be a person not going to take shit from anybody yep. and is going to be you know, just fine. Um, and so really it just becomes about how to, you know, teach them how to, how to focus it in ways that are going to be positive for themselves rather than just get them, you know, because in, in some, some cases it will, you know, alienate yourself from people or, you know, um, she, uh, our oldest, I I can't really speak for our youngest right now because she's still, you know, so small, her oldest, she she's you know a natural leader, but you know so it becomes about how how do we help her build those leadership skills mm-hmm. so that she doesn't just become called bossy, because that's right. one thing that that young girls are called when they exert themselves, because she's she's being a leader leader, mm-hmm. it's seen as being bossy, right. And so our job is to teach her how to be a strong leader and somebody who people will listen to and want to listen to. Um, and that's, that's really what, what the challenge is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and absolutely. I'm, I'm on the same page. You know, we, we, we do, we do tolerate a lot more than, you know, was tolerated in a lot of homes in my generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, because I I I think that like there's things that my daughter says to us sometimes that I go, I, there's no way I would ever say that to my parents. Yeah, even okay. And and so sometimes we do need to even like kind of give her that perspective sometimes and be like, yo, <laughs> you know, this is a little this is a little much. Um, right. And um, you know, you still have to to respect us. Right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's funny, that's, man. Yeah. Yeah, so I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, my parents would have been like, I, I wish you would. I wish you would yeah. give me attitude. <laughs> right, right. Right. So yeah, it just it just wasn't done. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't I didn't grow up in a terribly violent household or anything, you know, but it was like, you know, you knew that you, you didn't say certain things that were in a certain way. And if you did, they came with consequences of some sort yeah. or another. Definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. That's, that's the, I guess, enlightening for, for, for me as a non-parent. Um, yeah. Cause sometimes on the outside, when we're looking in like before I had kids or whatever, and you see like kids with a, what you would perceive as a shitty attitude, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're like, yes. I can't believe how are those parents letting these kids do all of this? Mm-hmm. And so like, I, I definitely get that. Um, and, you know, but I've also have learned to, to, to intervene when it is in public spaces as well. Um, because it, it, I don't know, I, I think there, there is still a need to, to show that there is, are, are certain spaces where certain behavior is, is okay. And when it's not, um, and so, you know, I was raised, if you're acting up in a restaurant, we're going to go home. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same same vibe, you know. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you're not behaving well in this space, and we gotta go. Yeah. Um. And I'm not gonna tolerate it. 
you know so yeah it's 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 uh, it's constantly a, a battle and you you do wonder did i did i just um, is this going to be that moment that you know years later they're going to be on the couch of the psychologist or whatever talking about <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so i mean yeah that's definitely aware because i i find myself you know in those scenarios and in therapy and stuff like that talking about things that happened in my childhood that i question or whatever you know and so um yeah it's definitely you're you're always kind of aware of it but if you are aware of it then that that's kind of half the battle because if parents who aren't aware of it then they are truly gonna fuck up their kids <laughs> yeah yeah definitely or not depending um, one, on the child's own resiliency you know right right of course um oh fuck what was i gonna say <laughs> um the the people the parents that just kind of give it to their kids no matter uh, what the context is or or whatever it's really i guess what i've kind of realized um as i've thought about parenting myself yeah is so much of the control is about yourself right it's about the parent's ego oh yeah and it's not yeah. really about like what is best for the kid totally yeah totally yeah i don't know i i i struggle with that with my uh, oldest daughter all the time and mm. you know a lot of it is seeing uh, behaviors that I had engaged in as a kid and would get in trouble for, mm. and yeah, I mean, it, it it is it's pretty it's pretty wild how our own ego gets involved, and 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 that's really where our power struggles come is when right. my ego gets involved. When I go, you know, how are you going to tell me, you know? x y and z you don't know anything about that you know what i mean mm -hmm. and then you know it's like why are you putting your foot down on this you know yeah. and so <laughs> it's like the same the same thing and if you know it's it, it is wild but you know it becomes about your own willingness to to self-reflect and 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 do better as a parent and we're we're right. going to make mistakes period and yeah. you know we can only do the best that we can mm -hmm. yeah definitely yeah okay so one one thing you mentioned was hip hop, and yeah. uh, I think I think we kind of have to talk about hip hop because I feel like <laughs> we we vibe. I feel like we yep. vibe so much on hip hop, right? Uh, yeah. You're you're I forget you're like eight or nine years older than me. Yeah. Um. And so it was interesting in school because I was like in the middle, and you were uh older than me, and I was yeah. older than the kids. Like I was like eight years. I was like a yep. generation older. And so the the when I listened to what they were listening to a lot of it i was like this is trash but then <laughs> but then a lot of stuff that i listened to you you were like i don't even listen to that shit so yeah. so <laughs> so i'm just uh, so i just want to talk about hip-hop in general um yeah so you know you're a dj right yeah um i'm curious when did you first get introduced to hip-hop um okay. and can you describe like what it was like in that time when you first yeah. got into it yeah because i think the context matters so much especially for hip-hop yeah so okay so i mentioned I, I i i was raised for like eight or nine years in venice and um my my mom still lives there in the house that i grew up in we moved away we still own the house whatever mm. um but down at the beach in the boardwalk you know we would I'd be out there all the time and that was like the first exposure to like breakdancing and and kind of like like some of the music it was just in the background all the time didn't necessarily know what it was but i heard it i liked it there's always music playing in the house 
um, and my mom had, you know, a pretty, pretty large record collection. And so I was exposed to a lot of music from, from an early age. And then it wasn't until I think I was in like fifth, it had to have been fifth grade. I, um, I had a friend who just started at, at my elementary school with me. He had an older sister and he was listening to like Easy E, NWA, mm. and all this stuff. And then we're like fifth grade. We don't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And, but, but we knew that we were into whatever it was. And so I remember I got my dad to, to you know, we'd go, go to the warehouse or Music Plus and I would, you know, grab a tape and he would, you know, get it for me, whatever it was. It didn't matter. Like it had the parental advisory sticker on it. It didn't matter. Like I got it. It was easy does it. Uh, had to have been in, you know, the late 80s, whenever that record first came out. And just listening to that over and over and over again. And, and then, you know, listening to NWA and all the stuff that was happening on the West Coast and just really, really liking it. But then at the same time, I was listening to, you know, classic rock and whatever, like, rock music that was coming out. Um, like, my musical tastes and likes just over the years um, were pretty eclectic already. And so I was just exposed to lots of different types of music. But that was my youngest first, like, conscientious thing of going out and buying a tape and listening to it. And from there, as I was, you know, going into middle school and stuff like that, and having some older friends here and there, and people were playing music, um, and I, I went to a school, ended up going to a private school with a lot of people whose families were, like, in the entertainment business. And so a lot of those kids were getting um, because like they had parents who were in, in the music industry, they were getting like hip hop and rap tapes from the East coast before everybody else was getting them. And so like, that was where I started getting introduced to like tribe called quest and like everything that is now considered like the golden age of, of hip hop. And so that's where all of that kind of started. And it wasn't until I, well, I was about nine, about the same age you know, uh, I was about nine years old and I was listening to rock music and stuff, like I said, and, and rap. And I started playing the guitar and was heavily into that for a long time. And then when I went away to college, when I started actually DJing, mm. um, and part of that just came from a desire to still be doing stuff related to music, but wanting to do it on my own because it was just too challenging to to be with bands and all the different egos that go involved with that and everybody getting together and you know just just right. everything yeah. um and everyone's various levels of commitment and so it just made that just made sense at that particular time in the late 90s and you know i was getting big into like invisible scratch pickles and all the stuff that was coming out of the bay area as far as like dj culture mm -hmm. uh, so i moved to santa cruz for college and so there was a lot of that was starting to come. And I was like, I want to, I want to be doing that. And so basically I started like selling all my CDs and just buying records, buying records, buying records. And, you know, um, my parents split up and when my mom left, like her whole record collection stayed at the house. And so I, I took them all and just kind of that just built from there. Um, 
but really I, I just had so many different uh, avenues of, of where I was receiving music from and different types of music. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even onto my own journeys in music and I would get really heavy into a genre for a while and then I mix it up and get heavy into another one and learn as much as I could about it. And a lot of that comes from like my own interests in general in like where things come from in history and, um, um, being aware of that. And, um, so I always had a desire to know like the origins of certain types of music and like how they all fit into the different contexts and how, you know, they're all kind of interrelated and, and all of that. And so, yeah. So, so for me, like it, you know, it, it took me a long time to, um, to get over the fact that yes, a new generation is, is coming up and they have whatever they listen to and there is merit in it. Um, but at the same time, there's still lots of music that doesn't get much shine that does have its roots and, and still point points towards like that classic, um, like hip hop era that the music that, you know, more like jazzy, like beats and, um, yep. and like, um, sample based stuff. um, yeah, and just and just things that where there's a lot of musicality to it, and like um, people people using using other music, like that was I think what really drew me to the whole thing was like people using old records and finding something of value within that, and taking and flipping it on its head and and turning it into something else. Yeah, um, that's, I mean that's the origins, right? That's the origins of hip hop. So. Yeah, and that's the thing is like now it comes with all this history and, and the, the folks who are coming up, they want to just neglect that it, was, it even happened and that where they are is like kind of in a vacuum. But mm. you can't mm. deny everything that came first because that got you to where you are. <laughs> yeah. And that got you to, to push back against it. So, yeah. yeah, so I mean, even that has changed tremendously in, in the you know 20 years that I've been spinning records that's um, crazy you've been spinning for 20 years yeah what do you have any like proud moments as a dj like have there been any iconic <laughs> moments for you <laughs> honestly honestly the best moments are when you're playing the music that you want to play and everybody's vibing off of it yeah i i never became famous i didn't for any famous people or anything like that just local mm -hmm. venues and stuff and that was always the best experience is when, especially when you're going back and forth with your friends and your friends are playing like the, the, the club pleasers or what have you, the, the big top 40 hits or whatever. And then you go in and you start playing like really obscure shit. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, people are like, at first they're kind of like, what? But then they kind of just like catch a vibe and they go and get to it. Get yeah. into it. And so those are always my favorite moments and have been hands down. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, because like, my experience growing up is like the DJ's job is to expose people to new music mm. and expose people to what's out there and what is different. And that has changed a lot because we're such an you know, on-demand culture. Like people, you know, it start off with like people writing something on a bar napkin and giving it to you, to standing over you and to even people trying to touch your computer and going into your, your record crates. Right. Or, you know, putting a phone in your face with a request. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's nuts. There, there's so, like, it is one, like, profession where people have such an entitlement, uh, feel such entitlement <laughs> to be able to, like, talk to and try and change what's happening. And, it you know, 
one one of the best there's a, a dj's name is uh, uh rich medina he uh there's a, a picture of him <laughs> handing the, the the headphones over to like some lady who's like trying to like tell him something, you know, and like, honestly, I, I've done that in, in, in the club before. And it was like the best, the funniest thing to do because they just look at you like, what? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You just say, you know, like, where do you work? Yeah. You do that. Uh huh. Yeah. How would you like it that I came to your job and told you, how, you know, no experience, nothing just came in and told you what needs to be done. Right yeah. So there's, there's like very few professions where people feel like they have an entitlement to be able to like make demands of you. Right. <laughs> it's like I, you, that reminds me a little bit of like comedians. They also complain yeah. about that. I can see the yeah. parallels there. Yeah, like, definitely. Yeah, you hecklers and yeah, totally, exactly. Totally. Yeah, I remember. Um, I, I can't remember which Drake record came out. It was a couple of years ago. <laughs> the new Drake record came out and like I was playing all vinyl and it hadn't been released yet on vinyl. I don't even know if there was like, you know, if that was going to be happening or what. And the dude was like asked for it. And I said, I don't have that. They don't, it's not even available. And he's like, he called me trash <laughs> because I didn't have something that didn't exist within like, <laughs> right. the physical realm of what I was doing. So yeah. those are the, those are the types of things that you know. I mean, there was a yeah. time when 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 you know DJ booths were 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 just that they were booths. They were removed from the people, mm. um, and or above the people, uh, and you know people would come to specific spaces because they knew that that's what they were getting into. Whereas now people go into a space and they think that they can they can somehow just change it to meet their needs at that time right. where is you know if we're not playing what you want to hear it's fine you can leave because the place down the street is playing what you want to hear go there right. no, yeah. no one like there's no problem with that you know because somebody else is going to come and you're taking up space for somebody else who wants to be here <laughs> um and so my favorite would be you know place, place is packed you're playing records everyone is dancing and someone comes up and says play something that we can dance to no one likes this and it's like <laughs> you're the only one who's coming up here right now complaining about that yeah everybody else is enjoying themselves and it's really on you if you can't enjoy yourself because you're not hearing some song that you can just turn on the radio and hear all the time that's on you if you can't loosen up and enjoy yourself that's on you yeah that's not me because i'm playing music that has a groove it, it's like hitting all of the marks it's just because you've never heard it before or you've never heard of it so then therefore it means that it's not good but really yeah psa be... yo respect the dj yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and don't bother the dj <laughs> yeah and that's the other thing too is it's like you know we, we we're not just pushing buttons we you know we take a lot of time to listen to music and preview music and think about music that would go well together and I mean, of course, we're reading a crowd when we're in the in the scenario, but we always have like, you know, kind of like little bags of tricks to be able to like come in and out of situ situations right. um, where you have like, you know, oh, I know that these three or four songs are going to go together well. And so in this kind of scenario, if it's this vibe, I can bust those out and that gives me time mm -hmm. because then I can like, I know, okay, I have a couple tracks already and now the next thing is how do I get out of that last one and keep it going? And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's super fun, but it's also stressful. 
because you're you know you're trying to make everybody happy yeah but and and yourself too i mean that's another thing it's interesting to see you know there's all this like streaming that was happening when covid first started it seemed to to die down Mm -hmm. quite a bit but people were like wow i can actually like play music that i want to play and it's like dude you should have been doing that before (laughs) um you know right right yeah and so i mean i don't know it's 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 interesting it's interesting and and that's the thing too is like you know at a certain point you kind of do age out of certain certain aspects of of all of it in all together and so yeah i don't i don't know i i mean for me it's it's more at this point like i'm i'm not playing out anywhere and like even even before covid started like i i pretty much stopped playing out i would do a radio show every once in a while on an internet radio station yeah um but for the most part you know some of my some of my dj friends have moved to other places and and again is you know me this is a, a constant uh narrative for myself me not feeling my own value and not thinking that you know that makes it hard for me to network with folks because i i will tell myself that i don't have that value and that i you know those people don't want to hear from me where do you think that comes from i if i could if i could tell you i um <laughs> i i've you know i've been working in, i you know i i go to, to a therapist i've been working on on this stuff um on and off throughout my life but like right now I just find myself at a, a like a a crucial moment where it's really important to kind of examine these things and kind of you know make some changes because I you know I can't have these self-doubts because it's just it's just holding me back yeah in a in a meaningful way like like really really um and it and it's pervasive I find I and I'm going wow I, I keep seeing it showing up yeah it's I mean sometimes it's like it's like, and I, I think about this stuff and I write about it on the Earthing Project all the time. It's like, some things are so embedded in your life. Yeah. It's like beliefs that have been, that started when you were like three. Right. That you didn't know, but because you needed to cope with the world, you believe this thing to be safe. And now you're like, you know, 30 years later, you're like, wait, why, why do I think this? Or yeah. yeah how do I get out of it? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, yeah, and that's that's definitely something that that I I struggle with all the time, and and you know, and so then in the end, the only person who loses is myself, and and then now you know it could have you know negative effects on my family, right? And so that's that's you know that's where you know trying to to do some of this work right now, especially when I'm in such close proximity to my family, all day every day is is super important yeah um i know you know it's really frustrating though as you know being a parent of of two small children to you know hear people complaining about oh what am i going to do with all the free time i'm just getting so bored like by the time my kids go to sleep all i want to do is play video games on my phone right you know i don't want to do anything else yeah um i i I have no more capacity (laughs) and so um it's you know it was hard enough to do get little projects done before covid happened but now it's even more so right um and so like trying to trying to to navigate that and find that balance for you know between my wife and myself and the kids and everything it's 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 a super super challenge you know because there's so many things you need to consider yeah you know um 
one thing I, I think I read this on Instagram somewhere. Somebody posted like a book or something. Yeah. And it, it it was some story, but basically the the background of it, and this is relating to the the insecurities thing, is yeah. um I think one character had been doubting himself and questioning and looking for approval from other people. Yeah. And I think it was his mom that was talking to him and, and she said, um, look, there's there's no such things as grades anymore. This is just life and and you live life and you grade yourself. That's like the gist of it. And when yeah. I read that, it kind of um it kind of like unlocked something. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. know. Like it freed mm-hmm. something up or opened something up for yeah. me because I hadn't yeah. realized that I had been I had been living like that. I had been living for someone's approval. Yeah. Um it's like these these little moments that have been really helpful for me. Like that, I tell myself that like every other day or so. It's just like, yo, you grade yourself. This is your yeah. life, like you know. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's 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 um, it's, it's hard. Really, yeah, it's really it's really really hard. It's hard to to change uh, one's thinking about themselves uh, over the years, and that that especially when you you start seeing it as a pattern, and how it's showed up. Um, in really important times and you know but at the same time you know um if things didn't go as they are you wouldn't be where you were in a specific place and time and so like you know perfect example is you know for a long time i was putting off having kids and being afraid of it and had i done it sooner i wouldn't have the kids i have right now Mm, yeah right and so that's what's important to me right now it's like yeah. these, these, I can't look back at that and say, I should have had kids earlier. I wouldn't have had the same children. Yep. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you wouldn't yeah. be the same person. Right. For, right. for your kids. Yeah. Right. And so, so there is that because each, each, each time that you've gone back to like self-examination, I've, you know, grown in some way, whether or not I've even recognized in that, in, in uh, that time in between, mm-hmm. there has been. And, you know, that's the thing is like when when i first like take for example when i when i first decided to go back and study industrial design like once i first started taking classes and was doing the stuff i was like i can't believe like i didn't even know that this was a thing and like i love doing this so much i love Mm -hmm. everything about this and i just kind of go why didn't i why didn't i do this before and, you know, I didn't, again, I wouldn't have had these other experiences in my life leading up to that. And, you know, I wouldn't have brought in those experiences to that design, exp- like my design school experience either. Yeah. So, like, one of the things that that was tripping me out and now, like, so we can, I'll, I'll tie this into to how we started. So, like, like, in the beginning, one of the things that would trip me out is like, you know, I, like I said, if my wife and I were able to have had kids when we, or did have kids when we first got together, like we could have kids who are 20 right now, right? Yeah. And that was like some of the age of some of the people we were going to school with. Yeah. And yeah. so like tripping out on that, <laughs> like going to school and being like, I could have been your dad. And <laughs> yeah. like, so, so my, my experience and my, where I was in my life was making me think about our project briefs in a different way. Right. Where people were thinking about, you know, making a designing a toothbrush for 
elderly people, you know, whatever, it would be like, oh, so many times the, the, the phrase that would like make me cringe is I'm making a high end blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, everyone wants to make like, like this shiny, super expensive thing um, that's coveted, you know, because it is that. Yeah. Um, whereas I was thinking about, oh, how, how can we make something that would be accessible to like, you know, poor people in India, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Thinking about like, okay, if you're money driven, let, let's think about this. We could still make something that helps a lot of people not cost a lot of money and be, you know, something that is a necessity for literally millions of people. And so yeah. you think of that as, you know, okay, we're going to sell millions of these things rather than we're going to sell like a couple hundred of them. And they're yep. going to be, you know what I'm saying? And so it's like... No, I know, I know exactly what you're saying. I think also when I reflect on what you're saying right now for myself, like mm -hmm. if I went to school when I was 18, uh, went yeah. to industrial design school, I would have fucked it all up, honestly, because <laughs> of the person that I was. So, right. so like I had to... For me, I had to like grow up, even though I was only like 26 when I went. So I'm, I wasn't that old, yeah. but I had like eight or nine years of experience living life as an adult. Where now I'm like, right. okay, now I have some context and I understand how important this is, and you know, right. all those things. And so, like now, as designers, we're at this point where, because like my my whole thing when I was going into design school was like. Um, I think I even wrote this in my like little letter to get into school or whatever. Like my, my drive was, you know, like there was a, a recognition that we are a consumer society and people that we're not going to ever be able to stop that, you know, just the yep. very nature of human beings as we consume things, you know, food, oxygen, clothing, everything is it's right. consumption. And, but what we can do as designers is, is change what and how people consume. Right. Yeah. In the design process. I know it, it sounds idealistic, but it's true. And then now, even more so, it's really important because now we have to look at it. Because before, the frame and the lens was always through white America and white people. And all that goes into white supremacy and, 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 and all of it. And we have a responsibility as designers to examine that as well and how we are playing a part in that. Right. How we are playing a part in colonialism, even how we're playing a part in, you know, how things are manufactured and produced and where they're manufactured and produced. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's an important thing to be aware of. And we have to be. Um, and, you know, for a really long time, there's like this conception that, you know, if this was designed by a certain person or a certain race of person, then it's going to be lesser than. Yeah. Um, I know that was that was a big thing when I was growing up, like, oh, the Japanese, they're making they're just copying everything that Americans are making, like stereo equipment, whatever it was. Yeah. And but then when you take a step back and there's so many people that are like looking towards that as, you know, there became a real precision to to everything and that the quality was actually better. It was just this mindset that because it wasn't designed or made in America, it means that it's lesser than, mm -hmm. and, and that still goes on. I mean, that's happening with and China. Even, even exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so then that's the thing is they're finding that, okay, we need to have people actually designing and making our own things. And, you know, there's no reason why 
something that's designed in China by Chinese designers and Chinese manufacturers. I mean, it's all the same manufacturers are being used, even if it's designed by somebody from the West. But there's this assumption that it, the quality is going to be lesser than. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing as the, uh, what was the word you used? Um, American. Oh, American ex- exceptionalism. Exceptionalism. Yeah, yeah it, it's it's like a similar thing, right? I, I don't, yeah. I'm not familiar with that phrase, but I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 um, this kind of notion that you know, as Americans, we're the best, yeah, and that certain things won't affect us. Um, I mean, that's a real simplified version, right? But that's basically, I mean, that's that's what we're seeing right now. That's why we can't get our shit together, and you know, all these other countries who you know we think are lesser than, we're able to to come through the other end. Right. Yeah. You know. And it's ironic too because uh like you said, we're we're outsourcing the manufacturing to these companies. I mean to sorry, these to these countries. And and at the same time we're outsourcing like our guilt to those countries yeah. as well. But then we're yeah. shitting on them when they put out a product. It's like this Yeah. It's always it's all all the ways that are, Yeah, that no, are and, and 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 we 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 have this notion of well, we're we're providing them jobs, mm-hmm. so they need yeah. to be grateful to us. Yeah. And what do yeah. they do? They turn around and they steal our technology. Mm-hmm. I mean, that happens here. You know, I mean that, that yeah. there's, there's there's no different, that's no true. different whatsoever. Yeah, that's a great point. And we engage like like that gets engaged in by American companies all the time, and American companies they also make shitty products too. <laughs> yeah true so, you know it, 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 a shitty product is a shitty product and it doesn't, yeah. doesn't you know it's going to end up in landfill or not and and really but that's the thing is like like i was saying is that we know we as designers have a responsibility to think about these things um we can't always i get it because you know we have to provide for our families but whenever we can uh lean into people as to you know what a better idea is and yeah. you know and try and try and elevate those things and and highlight why it should be done this way and what the benefits are. Um, And, you know, then the company, they can make that decision for themselves. But, you know, it seems like there are a number of places where it's kind of going back to this like kind of boutique uh, design houses and and all that kind of stuff where it's like, I, I always just, wanted to like i like the idea of making things that people would want to pass on as like an heirloom Mm -hmm. or that they really it's like their favorite thing that they really take care of rather than be just a disposable object yeah i mean on on that same note i was having a conversation with my dad and he was talking about how you know because we manufacture these things in these other countries um that we don't see the the impact of it uh, yeah. environmentally oh yeah and and he 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 said like you know if they don't do that they're going to manufacture in the US which means things will be more expensive and i was like that's not going to work but then right. he was like yeah i mean why can't we just buy one phone that lasts and i was like yeah why can't we do that <laughs> like yeah, why no, am i yeah, so no. trained to like think that we have to have a new thing so often you know yeah and you know that's the thing is like uh that thing about this just the other day too where you know they could instead of releasing a new model every other year or whatever it is that's what it feels like it is anyway like every year almost um you know 
as the technology gets better and better, like imagine if they were to hold off because, because this is the other thing too, is like not everybody is, you know, on that front line of getting the, the newest thing yeah. and they play catch up and they're still like when the next iteration comes out, they buy the old one yeah. because that's what they, where they're at. And so, you know, it's not to say that if you don't come out with a new model, people aren't still going to be buying right. phones. Um, but there is like this kind of thing that has been set up within capitalism as far as like, you know, people, it, it's, it's people competing with each other. Yeah. And, you know, and it's a, it's a sign of, of status or, or not, you know, like, like everybody walking around with, with, Airbuds in their ears, and I'm just going. Those are the worst things ever. <laughs> like when you really sit down and you think about it, like they're the worst things ever. The battery's gonna die they're in like a couple of years. You're just gonna have to throw them away. I'm yeah. st- like, I'm still using the same pair of headphones that I've had for like six years, mm-hmm. and they're fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like I invested in them, and I have taken care of them. I've got some that have like removable and interchangeable parts so that, you know, when the cord goes, I can just get a new one. You know what I mean? So it's like, right. um, there is a way of making it so that things last and that you're not just making something that's so disposable. Um, but we're playing into that, uh, uh, sense of needing to make money and needing to sell things and needing to, to constantly, one up our neighbor in some way or like show a certain uh status uh element you know like growing up it would be you know if you didn't have if you had the the payless brand shoes that had like you know the fourth stripe on them instead of uh-huh. you know the three Adidas <laughs> stripes you there's something wrong with you or like yeah. or I, you know that whole thing and it keeps happening over and over again and you know we value that versus what is actually um a high you know a well-made object yeah yeah i think the the thing you mentioned about um craft coming back around right Uh, yeah uh, i mean i don't know maybe it's i'm in a bubble but i feel like more people are being drawn to that idea of just like you know embracing craft um the minimalism like that that whole thing I mean, but that's 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 a whole nother topic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can like yeah, because even even going getting into minimalism, that's like comes from a real place of privilege as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, which is you know, I mean, it's so it's such a it's such an interest it's such an interesting place to 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 be in because it, it it's inherent like being a designer is inherently you know you're making things to be sold, um, and so really like trying to be able to, to ride that line of making something that's actually quality that you can stand behind. But then, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's so interesting. And I, I haven't really fully stepped into that world a hundred percent. Cause like everything that I've designed has been like boutique and small, small runs of things. And like, and so I haven't really had that experience of, of like compromising my own value system. Yeah. And yeah. so I know that that's going to happen once I jump, make that like crossover into that world. But, you know, who knows, you know, there, there are different design houses out there that, you know, have those same values. And so it's a matter of, of being able to be in the right place at the right time to like line that up. Definitely. Um, so before I ask the last question, 
Yeah. Is there is there anything that you want to talk about um, or bring up? I feel like we uh, we went all over. Definitely. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, I feel like it can go on and on. But no, I mean, like, again, like, you know, you got to kind of find a find a point and, and, and stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even if you yep. don't want to. Um, yeah. But that's yeah, that's kind of kind of where life is. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> cool. The last question. So we as humans put up statues of people, uh-huh. not because we love those people, but because we love what those people represent. And when you pass on from this life and the world puts up a statue of you, um, <laughs> where would you want to put that statue? Uh-huh. What would that statue be of? And what would you want that to represent? Jesus. Wow. Um, gosh, I guess um, I guess I would want it to be in position in a place that had a beautiful view i'm not sure like i i i like cityscapes i like lights at night i like um i also you know like the ocean and and beaches and i i think and and the mountains and like so for me like a place a perfect place is is really is really tough um but it would probably have to have some sort of elevation and offer a vista of some sort to to view and i think part of that is to have us recognize um the sublime and that we are a lot smaller than we think we are within this world but we still have a huge impact um whether or not we recognize it because everybody's everybody's actions are interrelated into everybody else's actions somehow some way whether we recognize it or not um because it's all it's all kind of interconnected and you know it's almost like like a dominoes uh, you know domino rally kind of a thing where one thing sets off the chain reactions of all these other things and so i would definitely want it to be in a place where um people would would recognize that but also be in awe of everything that isn't around them um and what it would be of so i guess that kind of incorporates like what it would represent in a sense is that you know we are we are all all connected and that there's a lot more that's that 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 surrounds us and and that we need to 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 keep ourselves in check a little bit um whether or not you know we believe in the divine or don't or you know are religious or not um there is something that you know is larger than us we need to kind of remember that and that's that's you know part of the problem right now with covid and everything and especially in america is that we can't see as individuals that our actions are interrelated and do have effects on everybody else. Um, and that we need to recognize that. Um, so back to like what it would be of, Hmm. I don't know. Maybe, um, maybe it would just be, just be a, a nice, 
a nice kind of sculptural piece that kind of fits with whatever landscape it was in that people could enjoy and interact with and sit on and be a part of and climb and um, just kind of enjoy and interact with in some way. Um, Because I think that that is important within our our public spaces um, to have have things that we, we... can actually touch and that are tactile and that don't say like keep off of because um, I think that's that's important so I, I think it would be kind of abstract in a sense like abstract artwork that would invite someone to engage with um, and just kind of kind of ponder to themselves what it means to themselves yeah I think that might be it thank you so much for listening to this episode If you or someone you know would be interested in being interviewed for the Earthian podcast, reach out to us on Instagram at WeAreEarthian. And of course, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you and have a beautiful day.